Welcome back. I'm Logan, your host for the Daily Bible Reading Podcast, where we are journeying through the Bible chronologically, taking it one day at a time. Today is day number 64, and we are going to be looking at Numbers chapter 23 to 25. It is the beginning of a new week. Thank you for joining me. I'm so glad that you're here. I just wanted to check in with you. How is everything going? Do you have any prayer requests? Do you need help in any way? Are you confused about something? Do you want to talk it out? Go over to our Facebook group. I would love to have you throw your ideas and thoughts on there. Uh, if you're not on Facebook, that's okay. Go to YouTube. Uh, on our videos, you can comment down below the videos. We can talk about anything that you are interested in talking about. I'd love to hash things out with you. I don't get a whole lot of time to flesh out some big ideas on here because we're only looking at, you know, five, ten minutes for three chapters or so as we read them. And so doing this together, talking about some of these big ideas and working through them in your daily life, that's really something that should be done in your family, in your church. But if you need help with those things, I'm here. I would love to be a resource for you to try to hash those things out and help you. That being said, I'm glad we're here. We're going to hash out the biggest thing right now by going to Jesus in prayer. Today's prayer is from the book, Piercing Heaven. It's called Taking Hold of God's Promises, and it's by Puritan Joseph Aline. Oh, my God and my Father, I accept you with all humble thankfulness, and I am bold to take hold of you. Oh, my King and my God, I subject my soul and all its powers to you. Oh, my glory, in you I will boast all day long. Oh, my rock, on you I will build all my confidence and my hopes. O staff of my life and strength of my heart, the life of my joys and the joy of my life, I will sit and sing under your shadow and glory in your holy name. Mine is the kingdom, the glory, and the victory. The whole trinity is mine, all the persons in the Godhead. And look, here is the evidence, the writings which guarantee it forever. Oh, my God, I lay my hand on my mouth. I confess the charge of my unworthiness. My guilt and shame are such that I cannot cover them. But you can, and you do. You have thrown a cloak over my nakedness and have promised that my transgressions will not be mentioned and that you will multiply pardons. And will I dig up what you have buried and frighten myself with the ghost that infidelity has raised? Is it presumption to take the pardon that you offer or to receive and claim you as mine when it is only what you have promised? I would not have dared to claim any title or privilege without your permission. I would think it was devilish pride to claim any part of you or kinship to you unless you showed me the way. Oh, my God, I see you have been at work with my soul. I find the prints. I see the footsteps. 
Surely this is the finger of God. I am your servant, O Lord. Truly, I am your servant. And my soul says, You are my Lord. It must be so. Would you ever put your mark on another's goods? Or would God disown his own workmanship? My name is written in heaven. You have written your name on my heart, so I cannot question that you have my name on your heart. I have chosen you, O Lord, as my happiness and my heritage, and therefore I am sure that you have chosen me, for I could not have loved you unless you loved me first. Amen. All right, here in chapter 23 to 25 of Numbers, we get to see the conclusion of the story of Balak and Balaam. We get to see the oracles that Balaam is proclaiming over the people of Israel to Balak. And we get to see what is happening with the Israelites while all of this is going on. Because remember, they don't even know any of this is happening. Are they being faithful? We'll find out. You got your Bible open? Numbers chapter 23 to 25. Here we go. Chapter 23. And Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars, and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. Balak did as Balaam had said, and Balak and Balaam offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And Balaam said to Balak, Stand beside your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. And he went to a bare height, and God met Balaam. And Balaam said to him, I have arranged the seven altars, and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth, and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. And he returned to him. And behold, he and all the princes of Moab were standing beside his burnt offering. And Balaam took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak has brought me, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him, and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright, and let my end be like his. And Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have done nothing but bless them. And he answered and said, must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? And Balak said to him, Please, come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only a fraction of them and shall not see them at all. Then curse them for me from there. And he took him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Balaam said to Balak, 
Stand here beside your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus shall you speak. And he came to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? And Balaam took up his discourse and said, Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel what God has wrought. Behold, a people, as a lioness, it rises up, and as a lion, it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. And Balak said to Balaam, Do not curse them at all, and do not bless them at all. But Balaam answered Balak, Did I not tell you all that the Lord says that I must do? And Balak said to Balaam, Come now, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooks the desert. And Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars, and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said, and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Chapter 24 When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go, as at other times, to look for omens, but set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon him. And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam the son of Beor, the oracle of the man, whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt, and is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces, and pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched, he lay down like a lion, and like a lioness, who will rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. 
And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to him, Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them these three times. Therefore, now flee to your own place. I said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, Did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me? If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord speaks, that will I speak. And now, behold, I am going to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Ser also his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. Then he looked on Amalek and took up his discourse and said, Amalek was the first among the nations, but its end is utter destruction. And he looked on the Kenite and took up his discourse and said, Enduring is your dwelling place, and your nest is in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned when Asher takes you away captive. And he took up his discourse and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from Kitham and shall afflict Asher and Eber, and he too shall come to utter destruction. Then Balaam rose and went back to his place, and Balak also went his way. Chapter 25 while Israel lived in Shitham, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked itself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it. He rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them. The man of Israel and the woman threw her belly. 
Thus, the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. The name of the slain man of Israel, who was killed with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, chief of a father's house belonging to the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zer, who was the tribal head of a father's house in Midian. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Harass the Midianites and strike them down, for they have harassed you with their wiles, with which they beguiled you in the matter of Peor, and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the chief of Midian, their sister, who was killed on the day of the plague on account of Peor. Hey everybody, I want to apologize for the bad sound quality of the audio clip that's coming. I recorded, there was a mistake that was made, I just didn't have time to re-record everything, so here's the best that I could do to give you this audio clip. Um, Sorry about it. Yesterday in Numbers chapter 22, we were introduced to this character of Balaam, or Balaam. And Balaam is an interesting guy, because... He doesn't even come from this region. Uh, Balak, this king, has pulled him all the way from the Euphrates River up around Assyria and Babylon to come and to perform a curse against the Israelites. However, Balaam seems to have some knowledge of Yahweh and some respect of Yahweh as well. But at the same time, He always seems to be scheming and trying to push the limits and do anything that he can to get a dollar bill instead of wholeheartedly following Yahweh with everything. We're going to see that play out more today as we look at his oracles, where he actually proclaims beautiful truth here, uh, which was not his own words. I have every belief that that Balaam, when he opened his mouth, wanted to spew curses against the people of Israel, but he was restrained from doing so by the Spirit of God. In the same way that in chapter 22, we saw that God can open the mouth of a donkey and speak with a human voice. Well, guess what? God can use the mouth of a pagan prophet to speak his truth if he chooses to. Balak is looking for a way to get the upper hand in a battle versus these Israelites because he's already seen several nations around him fall underneath their hand and he is now worried that Moab is going to be next. And so he has brought Balaam here to pronounce an oracle, pronounce a curse against them. He's ready to pay him a hefty sum of money to do so. 
which is another reason why we can see that Balaam is a false prophet, because false prophets are the ones that take these divination fees and look for gold and silver, whereas a true prophet speaks the truth, and it usually costs them in the end. But here, in chapter 23, as he begins speaking, he has Balak do some sacrifices, and then he says, I'm going to go away and talk and see if I can get the word that's here. And it's as if he is performing his little divination ceremony, using his omens and whatnot to try to define what the word is from the Lord, asking again if he can curse. But when God says no, he responds very much in the same way that a demon would respond, recognizing that God is ultimately in control, that Block, though he shows some kind of power, though he has uh, a legend surrounding him for being the guy that can pronounce the future, he's not able to control it. God is in control of the course of history. Balaam might have a tap to be able to see how things are going to go, but he can't control things. That is out of his hands. As we get into the first oracle that Balaam pronounces, it kind of comes as a bit of a surprise to Balak, and rightly so. I mean, he was expecting a curse to be issued here, uh, but in instead Balaam says, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? Rather, he says, who can count the dust of Jacob or number just a fourth part of Israel? He says they are not going to be denounced. They are not going to be cursed because they are favored by God. And so Balak looks at him and says, all right, I think you, you're missing something here. Maybe if we take you to a different place where you can see something different, uh, you'll give me a better answer. So he takes him to another mountaintop overlooking where the Israelites are. And again, they do another seven altars and another seven bulls and seven rams. And hear the word here at the very beginning in verse 19 of chapter 23. It says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He's talking there to Balak saying, hey, God doesn't change his mind. I asked him originally whenever you sent people to my house and I told them that he said I couldn't go. Notice Balaam doesn't say that he didn't want to go. He just said that, well, the Lord is keeping me from going. Kind of like if, you know, a kid got a no to whether or not they could go hang out with their friends. And so they call their friend back or text them and say, my mom won't let me go. That kind of same feeling that there's a resentment. There's uh, a scheming to say, maybe if I ask this question or do this or uh, do some particular thing, I'll get a different answer. But at this point, Balaam has his answer. It is that God doesn't change. His answer is not going to change. When he has spoken something, he will fulfill it. A key verse is in verse 21 of chapter 23. It says, he has not beheld misfortune in Jacob. And that he is Yahweh, it is God, the one who has given a command to bless. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. Those are words that refer to sin. And I'm sorry, but I think we have seen plenty of sin 
within Jacob and Israel, right? We have seen some serious misbehavior out of these Israelites to the point that God himself is killing them off in the wilderness, waiting for his new generation to rise up so that they can come in and take the land. And so what does this mean? What is is Balaam just completely off the charts here and he's wrong? No, he's actually speaking the word of Yahweh here. And Yahweh is absolutely true. He does not behold misfortune in Jacob. He does not see trouble in Israel. They have been perfected in his view. Ah, This is so good because, remember, God sits outside of time. He invented it. He can enter it when he wants to, and he did in the person of Jesus Christ. But God himself is not encapsulated in time. And so when he looks at Jacob and Israel, his people, he doesn't see them in the middle of their sin in this moment. When he looks at them, he sees their foundation and their current sin and their future glory all wrapped up in one, in one glorious picture. And ultimately, he sees what we're going to see in the third oracle. He sees redemption and salvation for his people. He sees his sovereign choice of these people. And because he has chosen to forgive them and redeem them and save them, they are saved. And there is no misfortune and there is no trouble there. God is with them and they have a king in their midst. That king is going to be brought up here in the third oracle. So after the second one, Balak is again frustrated that Balaam is not doing what he told him to do. And so uh, he said, all right, fine, let's go to another hill. Let's go uh, here to the top of Peor, which overlooks the desert. And they build another seven altars and they prepare another seven bulls and another seven rams. And then Balaam said, I don't even need to go look for omens at this point. I don't need to go like I did at other times. Instead, I know exactly what I'm going to (laughs) say. And he lifts up his eyes and he gives this beautiful message of the beauty of Jacob and Israel, uh, that they are like plants that God has planted beside the water. As he looks out over the wilderness and the desert, he sees a blooming and a growth in the middle of the desert that God has put there. And he predicts over Balak that this king will be higher than any earthly king, and his kingdom will be exalted, and these people will eat up the nations and break their bones into pieces. And then he quotes this very same verse from Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. In Genesis God had told Abraham in chapter 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. And so Balak is furious at this point. He tells Balaam, you're fired. I'm not going to give you any kind of honor or money, nothing. You don't get it. And so before he heads home, he gives a final oracle where he reveals who this king is. Because remember, as you look down 
on the people of Israel. There's no king in their midst. There's no king there. They have Moses, who's kind of their leader, but he is aging and already knows at this point that he's not going to be leading them in any kind of military battle. Uh, we haven't seen that Joshua is being anointed yet. That's going to be coming tomorrow. What we do see here is that in verse 17 of chapter 24, as Balaam begins this last oracle, he says, I see him, but not now. He says, it's not going to happen immediately. I, I behold him, but not near. He's, he's far away. This is a distant vision of what's going on. And then he gives a messianic prophecy. A star shall come out of Jacob. Where does a star come from? It comes from the heavens. It comes from above. A star shall come out of Jacob. And the scepter shall rise out of Israel. You have this balancing act between one who is going to be coming from above and one who is going to be rising up from amongst the people of Israel. That is Christ, who was born of God, born from above, but born as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Son of God and the Son of Man, united in the person of Christ. And so even though Balaam is a scoundrel, and uh, is a trickster and swindler, and he's really out for gain in everything that he does. And we know this because we see uh, later passages that speak about Balaam. Uh, he is torn apart in the New Testament even, by Peter, by Jude, by John in Revelation. Balaam or Balaam is referenced numerous times as one who turned aside the Israelites, and we'll see why here in just a minute who turned aside the Israelites to foreign gods for ill-gotten gain. Okay, He is seeking money in order to turn them aside. Remember, Balaam couldn't say anything against them. But it doesn't mean that he didn't go to Balak after chapter 24 and say, oh yeah, by the way, I can't say anything bad against them. But maybe, just maybe, if you caused the people to turn away from their god, God himself might curse them. God himself may destroy them and come against them because of their sin. So here we come to an end of this very central story of the book of Numbers that doesn't even feature Moses or Joshua or Aaron or any of the Israelites. Rather, it is all about this pagan king and this pagan sorcerer and how they can't help but bless the people of Israel, even though they seek to curse them. Do you guys know that God is on your side in this way? If God is for you, who can be against you? Paul says in Romans chapter 8, there may be people right now who are standing up on a hillside waiting and wanting to curse you. But guess what? If you're Christ's, their curses will only be blessings. They are unable to speak a word against you that will stand in God's court. They can spew falsities about you and lie about you, but in God's mind, there is no sin in you. There is no fault in you because you are in Christ and Christ is in God. And it's done. It's finished forever. But here in chapter 25, we get 
the other side of the story. We've got Balaam and Balak up on the hillside, and they can't see what's going on, but they're trying to curse. Just after this, or meanwhile, this may even be happening at the same time, we get a replay of what we saw back in Genesis chapter 32. As Moses is getting ready to come down from the mountain, Moses and God are up on the mountain calling out blessings and everything there. And as they come down from the mountain, as Moses comes down, what does he see? But the people of Israel worshiping their own jewelry that they've turned into an idol. Well, here, as this pagan king and this pagan sorcerer try to spew curses against God and his people, as we travel down the mountain and find them here at Peor, we see that the people have turned aside. They have turned aside and they've begun to worship the gods of the women of the Moabites. We will see as we get a little bit further in Numbers into chapter 31 that the events of chapter 25 are actually instigated by Balaam himself as a way to corrupt Israel so that God might himself curse them. Again, we know that he is a pagan prophet. You know, if Israel isn't righteous before God, then maybe God might curse them even though Balaam couldn't. Numbers 25 is ugly. The men of Israel essentially head for the Vegas of their day here in Shitham. This is the, the orchard, the, the nice place of trees where they can go and relax. And here, while they are in Shitham, the Hebrew men indulge in sexual relations with these heathen Moabite women. And there they probably you know, take in a few shows and gamble a little bit like you might when you're in Vegas or something. And they bowed down to the gods of Baal. So we see idolatry and sexual immorality that are involved in this. Which, this is exactly what we see if you look over in Revelation to this reference to Balaam that you will find in the early chapters. In chapter 2, verse 14, where Jesus, speaking through the Apostle John here, says, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. But here is the people engage in their Baal worship. The anger of the Lord is again kindled against them. And as God is enacting his judgment by causing a plague to run throughout the camp, Moses tells the judges of Israel like he did back in Exodus 32, to go out and to kill those men who have yoked themselves to Baal. And we see this one particularly despicable event uh, where one of the people of Israel came and brought this Midianite woman, another foreign woman. He brought this Midianite woman to his family. And the text here doesn't explicitly say what is going on, but we see that Eleazar's son, the grandson of Aaron the high priest, who is now passed, he is indignant, and he is, and he goes out, and like his grandfather, who went out into the midst of the people and burnt his incense, the plague might stop. Eleazar's son Phineas goes and takes his spear in his hand, and he goes after this man and woman who have made such a mockery of God. 
and they go into the tent, and in the tent, he takes that spear and stabs it directly through the man and the woman. So that can give you a sense of the way that they were positioned. And when he did so, the plague stopped, but not before 24,000 people died. This was the end of the old generation. This was the end of those who did not follow and did not trust in Yahweh, were not prepared to enter into the promised land. Phineas stands forth as a type of Christ, one who would take sin seriously and put sin to death. He would make atonement for sin and would stop the plague. And God gives him a covenant, a covenant that is going to be perpetually for him and for the people of Israel called the covenant of peace. Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace. So Phineas serves as a type of Christ here in that he brings peace through death. However, when Christ came, it wasn't a man and a woman who were caught in sin who were slain to stop a plague. Rather, he took sin upon himself and bore it up Calvary's hill to the cross where he was lifted up like the bronze serpent in the desert. And he took the curse upon himself. He took all of the war and all of the wrath of God upon himself so that he might bring an everlasting covenant of peace for those who look to him. Thank you for joining me today. I hope this has been encouraging to you. If so, please let me know by visiting the links that you find under the Connect With Us section in the show notes. I'm a simple man and I could use the encouragement. If you've been blessed enough that you would like to support the podcast, I would greatly appreciate that as well. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash dbrpodcast to make either a one-time gift or to sign up for a monthly recurring membership gift. Until tomorrow, keep reading and keep worshiping.